0: Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host. For the next half hour, hopefully we can have some kind of dialogue together. I want to read some of God's Word and have us think about what God is saying. There's nothing in the world that is more precious than hearing what God has to say being in his presence, listening to what he has to say and applying it to our lives. Those who stay in the shadow of the Almighty are always safe. Those who listen to God are always going to do what's right, and in the end, you will see that it made sense and that it was the right thing to do. I oftentimes think about the word shalom, which means peace. But not just any peace, it's the peace that comes from living life the way it was intended to be lived. There's a certain peace that comes to those who understand who God is and enjoy Him and listen to Him and obviously have Him as their Heavenly Father. No matter what happens in this life, they can enjoy the process because they know they'll be better because of it and one day All of the hard, difficult things that we face will be over. Mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes 7 A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go in the house of mourning than go in a house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider God has made one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found," says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Interesting, God made man upright, but we seek out schemes that cause us to do things we shouldn't do. What does it mean to rest in God? What does it mean for us to come to him on a regular basis and just think about what he's saying and rest in the fact that he's doing what should be done and that he's totally capable of providing for us at all times? Back in the first verse, we're told that a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. So the day of our death is better than the day of our birth? How does that work? I know that Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When I look at death, I don't see it as precious. I look at it as a disaster. Somebody that I care deeply about is being torn from me. Oh, there we go. I'm seeing it as a disaster because it's my loss. What if I looked at it as the gain of the person that is taken from me instead of my loss? Can you imagine what happens to those who love God and walk with him and their life is over on this earth? What they see next? What they experience next? And I'm thinking, oh, how terrible. God is thinking, precious is the death of my saint. Welcome home, children. Come to a place that I've prepared for you. See, I'm not getting it at times. I'm thinking of everything in terms of Dave Wager and his physical life here on this planet. And death is something that I don't like because it separates us from those we love. So it's not something I look forward to seeing happen in the lives of those who I love. And I've already gone through that with my parents and my in-laws, some friends. We're separated. Notice my grief is that we're separated. They're not separated from God. They're separated from this earth, this sinful earth where there's... I just looked up today, I think there's 15 wars going on somewhere. There's earthquakes happening. There's volcanoes blowing up. There's fires destroying places. And I feel... Sorry for the one who left this earth? A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. When somebody has lived their life and they have finished the course that God has laid out for them, there's a crown awaiting for them. Paul, in the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, says this to young Timothy, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that when he dies, there's a reward for being one who loves the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He invites Timothy to join him in that quest in his life. When you start seeing the context of all of Scripture, you realize that Ecclesiastes 7.1 makes sense. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. We can be welcomed by Almighty God. Do you remember the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, starting with verse 19? And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my Father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What a powerful passage, talking about what happens after death. This is where Jesus opens a window into eternity so he can see a little bit of what goes on. There is a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man is obviously consumed with being a rich man. Lazarus he didn't have much; he was a sick man who would eat the crumbs from the rich man's table, but he didn't have much. And one day, Lazarus died. The poor man died. And here's the key phrase in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The day of his death was far better than the day of his birth because all the suffering now in this world that he was facing is gone. And the day of his death brought him into the side of God Almighty. He was carried by angels. He was never alone. He was always being guided and being around those who cared for him and wanted to care for him. His death was a great victory. The next verse says that the rich man also died and was buried. So you got the poor man Lazarus who was carried and you've got the rich man who was buried. Those are the two. There's a big difference in what happened to them. They were separated, but they could see each other somehow. And the dialogue that went on was very simple. I want somebody to go tell my family that they need to pay attention to who God is. You know, my friend, if you're living your life and you're ignoring God, you're going to wish you didn't. If you're living your life in a way that God is on the side, or an extra, or only talking to him when you have a need, you're going to wish that you were intimately involved with God on a daily basis. I'm speculating, but I would assume that Lazarus didn't have much else to do. That he might tell us one day that his sickness was something that was a great benefit to him. Because he got to focus in on what was important While the rich man was focusing in on his riches, in the end, when the rich man was in his eternal state, he was only concerned with somebody telling his brothers about this place. But he was told, it wouldn't really matter, your brothers are not going to listen even if somebody comes back from the dead. How much of a grip does your money and your life and your comfort and your plans have on you? How could God have the grip on you rather than those things? That's hard for any of us to evaluate because our nose is so close to the elephant that all we see is gray. I know we've spent time in other parts of Scripture, but it started in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. For the good name is better than precious ointment, than the day of death, than the day of birth. The second verse, it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go in the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. These are interesting statements because it seems to me that those in the United States of of America especially will avoid sadness no matter what we want to always feel good about whatever we want to feel good about life we want to feel good about our jobs we avoid sadness yet those who see the world the way it really is can't help but be sad They see what sin is doing to people. They see what sin has done to families. They see the heartbreak that's continually there because people refuse to listen to God. You can't be joyful and see that. When somebody dies, you realize that part of your life, this life that you live right here on earth, is going to change for a while because of sin. Those who honestly get what's going on in this world Are people who are sad from time to time and sad a lot because they see the devastation and they realize it doesn't have to be that way? I've often wondered what Jesus thought when he looked at people. He created them while they were in their mother's womb, he knew all about them, he knew why he created them. Can you imagine being the creator and sustainer of all life, focusing in on all these? people that you created and you see how far they are from what you created them to be. I think you would live in a constant sober-minded spirit. I think you would be one from time to time who had a heavy heart and was sad because you see the world correctly. It's not that you live in depression or anxiety because it's not overwhelming. You realize that there is hope and that God has supplied hope through Jesus Christ who died on our behalf on the cross. You know that. You just wish that those who didn't know that did know that. I think those who understand the truths of Scripture, the idea of sin separating us from God and what could have been, and when they think seriously, we we begin to mourn, we begin to see that we are sorrowful. And then, because of the answer God has given to mankind through Jesus, this sorrow can be turned into laughter. It can make the heart glad. See, there's three aspects to salvation. When I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I understand that three things happen there are three aspects to my salvation when i placed my trust in jesus christ as my savior i became free from the very penalty of sin that would keep me from him for eternity i became free from the very power of sin that controls me moment by moment and one day i'll be free from the presence of sin even though i'm not today and this allows me to live in a way where i can have joy in the midst of sorrow because i understand the love of god the provision of god and i'm in god's family. Titus 2:11 through 13 teaches these three aspects of salvation. Let me read it to you. For the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, See, salvation that we get in Jesus Christ has three aspects to it. Even though we're living in the midst of sin, we know that one day when we're not here anymore, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sorrow because of sin, because it'll be over. That's the future aspect, the past aspect. I'm not going to be like the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm going to be like Lazarus. When I close my eyes on this life, My only hope has been in Jesus Christ and what He did for me at the cross and what He does for me to give me life today. My hope is in Jesus. I will never be alone, I will be carried to my Savior. That's a good thing. The second aspect of salvation is the one that's most ignored training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, we're free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has to dominate me. It no longer is something that has to control me. So even though I am sinful and I live in a sinful world, and there's a lot of sadness because of that, in the midst of all that I can rejoice because I know that my sins are paid for. I'm in God's family. I have a heavenly Father who loves me and will guide me and watch me. I rejoice because sin has no power over me anymore. I can know the truth, and the truth can set me free. I don't have to live in bondage to the sin. And I can look forward to one day being with God and knowing that we will live for eternity with no sin, that we'll finally get back to the way it was meant to be, the shalom peace that every human longs for will be there. Indeed, I have strayed from Ecclesiastes 7. Let me get back to it. A good name is better than precious ointment, than the day of death, than the day of birth. Second Verse It is better to go to the house of mourning, than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. The idea there is that we probably seek people who want to tell us everything the way we want to hear it. People who affirm what well, we want them to affirm. And those who challenge us, we keep at a distance because we don't want to hear them. Yet, it could be that those who challenge us love us the most. Oh, not if they're egotistical in challenging us. It's not about somebody saying, I know so much more than you, so you need to listen to me. That, that isn't it. But there are humble servants of our Lord who walk with him and enjoy him, We'd be wise to have them in our lives, and they might ask us questions, and they might challenge some of our thoughts, and that's a good thing. It's better to hear the rebuke of a wise person than hear the song of fools. I guess you're going to have to figure out which people are wise and which ones are fools. Those who truly listen to God, walk humbly with God, it should be evident by the fruit in their life that they walk with God. Be smart to listen to them. 7th verse, surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the hearts. Yeah, I think sometimes we look and we realize that when we do what's right, we listen to God, there's a struggle that ensues because Satan hates that. Read Voice of the Martyrs, take a look at everything that they're doing and on their websites, and, and read their materials and realize that today there are many people who love God and they're getting beat up for it and killed for it and families are getting ripped apart because of their love for God. When you look at that, you think, wow, I'm doing what's right and look at what's happening to me. But yet, most of those who are doing what's right are trying to get bribed to do what's wrong. They're just bribing them with comfort. Do you want us to leave you alone? Do you want to live this life in comfort? Or do you want to suffer? All you got to do is change what you believe in. And we can let you live in comfort. Really? That would be comfort? There's no way that those who really know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior could do that. There's also no way that anyone, any human being, can say, good, I get to suffer. That's that's not the goal. Suffering is painful no matter what. Those thorns that were put on Jesus' scalp hurt, and he bled. The nails they pounded hurt. The spear in the side, certainly. Probably didn't hurt by then, he was dead. But it would have hurt. We need to be those who understand that once we know the truth, we don't give in to false statements anymore. And if we live that way, we're not going to be the most popular person on the block or the planet. In fact, we might be somebody who's opposed. The eighth verse says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. That's pretty obvious. The end shows us whether we believe something true or false. We need to be those who keep a focus on the end. Because time is running out, I want to move all the way down to the 21st verse, where we're warned, do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. It's important that we do not take everything to heart that people say against us, especially those of us who are in public ministry. There are many opportunities for people to disagree and get into their little forums and talk about what we're talking about and make us look like fools. We have to remember that people do that. It's not right, but they do it. And it doesn't have any validity at all unless it's truth they're speaking. And the truth should be spoken directly to me, not to everybody in their little group. Do not take heart to all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. There are people that will not like you if you love God and do everything right. Don't focus on them. Focus on God. Pray for them. Hope for opportunities that they will understand who God is, and they can experience the three aspects of salvation that you experience if you're in God's family. But don't focus on them, because if you focus on them, you'll be discouraged. You might even be angry. You might get depressed and and full of anxiety. I'm not sure. But don't focus on those who love to sin and want to destroy you because you love God. Focus on who God is and the fact that one day you'll be victorious with him. Once again, as you look at that, you understand why the beginning of this passage talked about sorrow is not the worst thing in the world, because we live in a world where sin is rampant. And when you see sin, it should make you feel sorrowful. Hopefully you're not entertained by it and turn it on and watch it, but you feel sorrowful because of it. Well, I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolai Bible Institute. I thank you for spending time with me again and encourage you to go and read at least Ecclesiastes 7, maybe 1 through 7, and just enjoy what God has to say and apply it to your life. Good night for now.